0: My name is Taina Asili, and you're listening to Two Dope Teachers and a Mic.
1: care how y'all are doing and uh, how, how, how are we doing you know because we got a fire guest today
2: we have a fire guest who's got us thinking about emotional needs and and it's just like dropping uh as we say uh in the industry jewels right it's, it's it's like we've been in a mine and and we didn't even have to do any mining because because our guest dropped so many jewels.
1: That's right. And
2: now I'm way down. Like I got I, I got I'm way down. I'm iced up like Rick Ross. Too many jewels right
1: the, now. <laughs> you iced up like Rick Ross. That's right. Um and no and no conflict diamonds, right? No conflict. No conflict diamonds. diamonds. We I mean conflict diamonds us. in the sense that these are these are diamonds that are formed. In, in the nexus of conflict and trauma. And where am I going with this? I don't know.
2: I don't know, but but it sounded like it
1: was deep. Yeah, it's pretty deep. Um, and literally this guest um, is dropping some literal science, actually, right? Uh,
2: Liter- dropping
1: science. Dropping some science. So folks, um, just want to welcome you into the Two Dope Teachers and a Mike podcast. My name is Eduardo Munoz. And I am your man, Kevin Adams. How are you? You so keep asking people how they're doing. Yeah. Well, he, he, Kevin really wants to know how you're doing. He really cares. I do. Uh, look let, at all. let me know in the tweeters. You're, you're in the tweeters. That's right. <laughs> hey, if you want to follow us on the tweeters or uh, the the Instapix or whatever you call it, it's uh, yes. two dope teachers. You can like us on Facebook.com slash two teachers. And, and Mike, sorry, I haven't updated there in a little while, but we will update there. And you can email us um, anything you want, really, Uh, praise, uh, DoorDash gift cards, show ideas, um, insights, responses to things we talk about, 2 Teachers at gmail.com. And, yeah, so today we have um, an amazing person, my Twitter best friend, um, Dr. April Alexander, um, professor and researcher of forensic psychology at the University of Denver. What's she going to talk to us about today, Kev? oh man she's gonna get into it
3: she's, yeah
2: she's gonna talk to us about being a forensic psychologist um she's gonna talk to us about how to prevent sex assaults and sex violence that's right, right? because she has the cure yep. uh, and and y'all are gonna find out what that cure is that's right uh, she's also gonna talk to us about uh how we should be responding to our kids as we come back uh, and knowing that they've experienced trauma, but not only them that we've experienced trauma, yeah. and how can we better meet our needs? But really, like she's going to teach us how we can solve a lot of the world's problems. That's how I can sum it up. You yeah. know, like like she she gets to this point where I'm like, oh, oh, oh yeah, oh, you know, yeah. I was that I was that meme of uh, <laughs> of
1: uh, we made
2: from, uh, from the Wire. <laughs>
1: Oh, where he he goes like this, where he's like, he's like, yeah, 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 that's that's like the greatest gift. (laughs) Yeah. So we should say, um, this is a really powerful episode. Um, we do want to let you know that there are direct references to sex and sexual violence, as well as to pornography and to, um, sexual health. Uh, comprehensive sex ed. So if you have small children that you typically um, jam out to two dope teachers in a mic with, um, you may want to listen to this in earbuds and headphones. Uh, We're not judging at all. Uh, You do what's right in your family. So, um, but it's a really powerful thing. So, yo, before we uh, launch into the interview, man, I need some social, emotional support right now.
2: I'm going to, okay, I got you.
1: (laughs) What do you need? Hold on. I got you. Kevin's like, oh man. Like I can, I've
2: got something that can get you there, but go ahead. Talk.
1: Something um talk to me, my brother. Something really hard happened today. Yes. And I'm very confident oh, about it.
2: I know, I know where you're going. I know Do where you? you're going. Do but, you? Okay. All right. All right. I'm here for I'm I gotta switch on my I
1: Iyanla mode.
3: <laughs>
2: go ahead. Look open at up you.
1: Your heart. Oh, you're so peaceful right now. Open hey, up your heart. It's wonderful. For I'm right. open up my heart now. Um so the good news is. Our Denver Nuggets yes. made a trade for the most sought-after uh, player on the market. Yes, Mr. Aaron Gordon, who can yes. jump out the gym, who's actually a really funny person. I heard him on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me once, and he's like funny. I really like that dude. But it came at a cost, Kev.
2: Well, go ahead. I knew, I knew, I knew we would be we would be going through this.
1: I anticipated. Um, go ahead. Gary Harris is no longer a Denver Nugget.
2: We miss you, Gary. Gary,
1: we love you, Gary. Oh man, so Gary, I, I just want to give a, <laughs> I just want to give a tribute to Gary. Um, Gary Harris was Mister Nugget all those years. Like he went through that nonsense with Brian Shaw, and then he like came to life under Mike Malone. Um, yes. yes. So like, so there was a trade a few years ago that almost happened involving Gary Harris, right? The trade didn't work out. Do you know what Gary did the next day? He what did he got, do? He got on an airplane, flew to Atlanta to to talk Paul Millsap into signing with the Denver Nuggets. That's right. That's right. G- Gary Harris. If teachers, if all teachers were like Gary Harris, um, oh. th- what what was that? <laughs> Go ahead. Keep going. <laughs> Keep going. Um, Kevin is still mastering his soundboard. Um, <laughs> uh, Gary is a consummate professional. Gary does what he does well. Gary is a great team and locker room guy. Gary will always work hard for you. And Gary will always understand um, the decisions that you make. He's patient. He, he'd be a great teacher. So Gary, we're going to miss you, man. Going to be following your career in Orlando, which is most certainly going to pick up where it left off. And uh gonna miss you here. Man, this is so hard for me, man. It's like hard.
2: How do I
3: <laughs> say goodbye?
2: Oh, I think we just lost five <laughs> <listeners>. <laughs> Hold on, this is what I was trying to get. Hopefully, it's the right one. Okay. Oh
3: yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. Yep. Oh stop. stop. <laughs> <laughs> We miss you,
1: Gary. you'll be in our hearts forever. You'll be in our hearts forever, Gary. We love you. We're not, we're not good at tribute. Um, <laughs> Aaron Gordon. We'll be there, but um, welcome, welcome, Aaron Gordon. Uh, looking forward to having you on the on the show. Um, <laughs> like to see you yes. happen. Also, yes. we brought JaVale McGee back.
2: <laughs> ja- uh, JaVale, JaVale McGee. Shaq enough, the king of Shaq,
1: so
3: king is Shaq.
1: So sh, sh, sh- JaVale!
3: <laughs> JaVale! <laughs> JaVale!
1: Oh, man, it's funny how your overall attitude about a player can automatically change when they join your team. Um, That's right. It'll be right. interesting to see JaVale back in Denver. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, change, change comes, man, and uh, I have a heavy heart, but I'm um, also very excited for how Aaron Gordon fits in, and... How we finish out this season we it's gonna, gonna be new Lop city new Lop city here in denver that's what's up all that's right up. well so we're gonna move into this amazing conversation that we have with dr april alexander if you're enjoying the content that we are giving you every week on the two dope teachers in a mic podcast and every month on the exit interview podcast please yes. consider supporting us on patreon podcasting is not free um, and the more resources we gain, the more we can just keep doing cool stuff and um, and have a lot of fun with this. So without any further ado, here we are with Dr. April Alexander. Yo. I thought you were doing a sound effect.
3: <laughs> Hold on. Hey,
1: everybody. We are... Really excited for our guests that you're about to get to know today. We are here with Dr. April Alexander, scholar, activist, associate professor of forensic psychology, and researcher at the University of Denver. Dr. Alexander, how are you today?
0: I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me here.
1: Yeah, thanks for being here. Uh, so yes. we're. Gonna, yes, yes. Kev, Kev, do you want to say something? Sorry, I just kind of walked.
2: Oh, uh, no, no. I was just saying thank you. Thank you. We're glad to have you.
1: Glad to have you. Yeah, we're looking forward to a really interesting conversation. Um, Dr. Alexander and I are best friends on Twitter, and, yep. um, and that means so, that's, means so much. And it's just so interesting how people who you actually know on Facebook can make you want to lose your mind, um, but people that you, like, just meet on Twitter, like, become your best friends. I'm not really sure how that works, but I am
3: <laughs> here for it.
1: <laughs> Alrighty. So I um, want to start off. So uh, we, we did some thorough research, and by research, we looked at your Twitter bio to start. Um, you yep. include the hashtag first gen. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. So how did your childhood, your community, your life growing up put you on the path that you're on today?
0: Yeah, hashtag first gen just recognizes that I'm a first generation college student, first generation graduate yes. student first-generation doctor, professor, all of that. Yes. Um, You
2: you decided to do it all. You're like, I'm going to do it. This is what you do. You set the bar high for the next generation, right? You're like, yo.
1: Now everybody else is going to be next gen. (laughs) That's
0: right. right. right, right. That's
2: right. That's That's what's
0: up. Yeah, but growing up, uh, both my parents are uh, Air Force veterans. uh, So they're both air traffic controllers. And so we moved around a lot growing up, uh, but... Regardless, they just instilled the importance of education in both of us. Uh, neither of them had went to college. Uh, my mom had some college while we were raised and then she went back and got her bachelor's degree. The same year I got my master's and the same year my brother got his associates. Oh, that's uh, so, so cool. Nice, that's yeah,
3: good. yeah, so it was a really good
0: 2007. Yeah, really good 2007. Um, but they always just instilled the importance of uh, education for us. There was no question that myself and my younger brother would go to college. Um, my whole life I wanted to be a veterinarian. Um, so okay. uh, that's what I was dedicated towards. I actually got accepted into Virginia Tech's animal and poultry science uh, major. Uh, uh, oh, wow, uh, oh, cool. Yeah, which is a really competitive program. So I tell people my first two really? years of college was spent with cows and sheep and okay. horses. Oh, and- that's so cool covered in manure and all of that jazz. (laughs) So um, yeah, so I I knew STEM was important to me. It was part of all of my education and I knew I'd be somewhere in the sciences. Uh, Fell in love uh, later with psychology, which is still a science and social sciences, uh, but all of that early education prep, encouragement, uh, sacrifices from my parents all paid off.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. So so how did you make that transition into uh, psychology? After, after doing the, uh, the previous work?
0: Yeah, my second year in um, undergrad, I was looking for volunteer experiences. That was another thing that was marked by my childhood. Um, my parents were volunteering in every which way they could in their community. Um, so um, Special Olympics was really important to my parents. So they would often take me and my brother to different Special Olympics um, activities. Uh, by the time we were in uh, high school, we were coaching uh, Special Olympics bowling. Me and my brother are both champion bowlers. Oh, nice. Uh, really? Oh, so, that's great. <laughs> yeah, so we, we, we were bowling most of our lives, and so we did Special Olympics bowling and just supporting other veterans who were deployed overseas, and all of that was part of our childhood. So when I was in college, just looking for similar types of uh, volunteer activities, and I came across the Women's Resource Center of the New River Valley, which is a whole center kind of dedicated to domestic violence, addressing sexual assaults. So they had a hotline, they had a shelter, they had transitional living for folks. Um, And it was that first week of volunteer training uh, in just hearing the stats about interpersonal violence. Um, I grew up with some privilege in that I didn't get to see any of that violence in my household, in my neighborhood. And so when you hear those stats of one in four women, one in eight men have experienced sexual violence in your lifetime, that changes you. Yeah. And then working with that population, it changes you even more. Um, so by the time I was done with that internship and I was taking Intro to Psych as an elective, I said, I think this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Wow. Um, I want to help uh, victims of victims and survivors of violence. Uh, so at the end of that quarter, I signed the paperwork and transitioned majors to psychology. Wow, that's amazing. Uh,
2: that's
3: That's so really
2: really cool. cool. Yeah. So and and so you're a professor of for, forensic psychology. Can you just tell us like what 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 distinguishes forensic
0: psychology?
1: Yeah, because our students are going to think that that's like CSI, right? So... Oh
2: yeah, I, I get
0: it They're like, oh my god, you work with dead people, and I say, how do you <laughs> talk to dead people? Um, And it gets really confusing because a few of our grad students do work for the medical examiner's office. Oh, (laughs) there you go. (laughs) Yeah, so it gets really messy. That term forensic
1: confuses people.
0: (laughs) Right. So forensic uh, comes from like the Greek word forensis, like of the forum, so in the courts. So forensic psychology is how uh, psychology interfaces with the legal system. Mm. Uh, So I continued to work with those victims. And one of the roles I had in uh, my master's program was actually going to hospitals and police stations after a person had been sexually assaulted uh, so providing them with support providing them with resources getting them a ride home sitting with them through their um, examination kit all of that and I had always wondered what happens to folks afterwards uh, we I, I witnessed negative experiences with police uh, so police going in there and saying I don't believe you um, you know uh doing some victim blaming uh there was one woman mm-hmm. she uh Her boyfriend was a drug dealer, but she was sexually assaulted by someone else. And the officer comes in asking about her boyfriend and not her sexual assault. And she runs out and they never get the medical evidence.
3: Uh,
0: So for me, I was wondering, you know, what happens next in that kind of legal process for uh, survivors and how do we talk about reactions of survivors or symptoms uh, that people experience after a trauma? Uh, So forensic psychology has that nice blend of our interactions with the legal system. We can be consultants uh, to attorneys. Uh, We can testify as experts in court hearings about different areas of uh, psychology. We do the cool kind of uh, evaluations, like risk assessment, competency to stand trial. So anytime you hear about like the Planned Parenthood shooter, for instance, Uh, is he ready to go to trial? Is he a risk uh, in the future? We do all those kind of assessments and then do things like research. uh, So researching victimology, uh, researching recidivism rates for offenders, all of that. That's
2: amazing. All right, okay, very cool, very cool. So you mentioned um, a lot of your work around sexual violence. Can you talk, uh, share some of the work you've done, especially your argument that sexual violence is preventable?
0: Right. So over the years, you know, I started my work off with victims. Um, In my first year of grad school, we had an ethics class and we had to write this essay about what populations do you think you'll have difficulty working with, or you just absolutely can't work with or need help in working with that population. Yes. And So coming from a victim perspective, I wrote a long essay on, I'd never, ever, ever worked with sex offenders.
3: Yes, yeah.
0: I yeah. started working uh, with, uh, again, youth in the system who had experienced um, different forms of trauma and violence in their lives and started to see some of those kids sexually act out. Yes. Wow. And so something went off in my head that, oh my gosh, are these individuals and not all, but some going on to uh, sexually offend in the future. So I actually started working with individuals who sexually offended. Um, so doing outpatient uh, treatment with uh, adult males who sexually offended and actually really enjoyed that work. So continued on, on my internship and postdoc on working with sexually violent offenders, uh, offenders with severe mental illness, um, and all of that. Um, so I have this kind of unique perspective of working both with victims and survivors and working with those who offended. And over the years, um, one of the things that has stood out is how, how can we prevent this? Uh, I would like for there to be no future um, victims. Yes. Uh, that's my goal. Whether I'm working with offenders or victims, I want no future victims. Um, and for, before I moved to Denver, I worked in Alabama for three years. I was a professor at Auburn University. And my main role was actually working in a juvenile detention facility outside Montgomery, uh, working with adolescents who sexually offended. Yeah. Um, so doing a lot of the evaluations on them or my students doing the evaluations, uh, participating in their treatment. And just saw this pattern over time of how do these kids get to this point?
3: Yeah.
0: Well, one, uh, some of my recent research has been they've experienced a lot of trauma. Uh, I I did this study, the average number of different types of trauma in these kids was about 14. So they had not only been sexually abused, they've been physically abused, they've seen gang violence, they've witnessed people getting shot, all of this stuff happening in their lives.
1: 14 different types of trauma.
0: Right. That that doesn't even count how many times they've experienced each type. Wow. Right? Wow. Um, So like 14 different types. Um, So that was one. Why didn't these kids get trauma treatment? Yeah. Uh, why why wasn't anybody paying attention uh, that they've been physically abused, they've been sexually abused? Some of them had their houses taken out during the Alabama tornadoes. Uh, Where was the intervention for these kids before we got to the point where they were uh, engaging in illegal sexual behavior? So that was one. And then second, we asked them a lot about (laughs) sex because their crimes did involve sex. Mm -hmm. Um, These kids knew nothing about sex. Um, Alabama is an abstinence-only sex education state. And so you don't get anything, you don't get anything about healthy sexual behaviors, how to protect yourself. And um, we had one kid who was 16 with four kids. Wow. Uh, so, uh, again, uh, thinking about the lapses that we have in sex education. And then one of the other things that I talked about in my TED talk was consent yeah. education. Yeah. And we start talking about consent and what that is and what that means um, yeah. uh, with, with our teens um, and then starting at a younger developmentally appropriate age with our younger folks. Yeah. Um, so for me, I'm saying, what if we started intervening early? what what can we do to prevent sexual abuse from happening? Uh, It is this combination of maybe early trauma intervention of comprehensive sex ed. I do a lot of healthy relationship workshops with teens. All of these things are known to help stop sexual offending or at least make people engage in wiser choices, but we're not using them. Uh, There's a lot of evidence-based programs out there to talk to teen boys about uh, healthy masculinity and sex education. But you don't see them widespread. Wow. Um, so I'm trying to get our stakeholders, whether it's legislators, I'm talking to members of Congress about can we invest more money in prevention? Yeah. Uh, we, we we all say that we're against sexual violence. We want it to stop. We don't want any more victims. Yep. How about we do that and actually invest the money in prevention?
3: Yeah.
1: What if I could ask a follow up? Um, what are what do you view as the barriers to having So we've Kevin and I had had some students in the past who have um, pushed for comprehensive sex education. And, um, you know, a couple years ago, we actually had a student go and speak before the school board to um, kind of push this It was a really cool thing. What do you view as the barriers to implementing comprehensive sex ed um, curriculum and mindsets and programming?
0: I mean, mindset, it's uh, stigma. Uh, it, it's similar to kind of suicide prevention. Uh, yeah. People feel if we talk about suicide or if we talk about sex, that'll promote people engaging in sex. Right. Kids are having sex anyway.
3: Yep, true. Kids yep. are
0: kids are watching pornography at younger and younger ages. Um, So I'm getting parents who email me about eight year olds having exposure to pornography. Um, And so us avoiding it is actually causing more harm than good. Uh, and, And that's one of the things I need. I've been talking to parents and teachers and stakeholders about we need this up front because it can prevent so much. Comprehensive sex ed still talks about abstinence. That still is an option that we're going to discuss in comprehensive sex ed. Um, so we're not neglecting that by any means. Yep. Um, so one, we just need to get past that stigma of avoiding the topic of sex. Uh, because again, uh, kids are learning poor things about sexuality from pornography and nobody talking to them about what they're watching and what they're viewing. Um, and then two, again, our kids are engaging in sex anyway. So let's right. make sure that they are healthy in doing it. Educate them. Uh, yeah, just, just kind of educate upfront. Uh, and then the second thing, um, I actually testified on the comprehensive sex ed bill back in 2019. And, uh, one of the things that was written in that bill was developmentally appropriate, uh, parents are scared and (laughs) worried about what I mean by that. Uh, I always get the question, what age do we start sex ed? And I said, as soon as your kid starts talking, uh, and um, automatically. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Yeah. Parents start freaking out, and I'm yeah, like, "Of yeah. course, we're not going to talk to in, about intercourse to four year olds. Right. That is not what we're talking about. Can yeah. we talk to your four year old about boundaries?" Yeah. Uh, Can we talk about uh, naming body parts appropriately? We know how important that is, especially for people who've um, encountered sexual abuse. That does make a difference in their court hearings. Hmm. Um, And so thinking about uh, what is developmentally appropriate across ages, that it's not a one-time sex ed talk. It's a continuous sex ed talk throughout childhood and adolescence. And so, yeah, as soon as your child starts talking, we need to talk about body parts. We need to talk about boundaries and how you don't touch people in their private places and naming yeah. those. That's what developmentally appropriate sex ed is. Yeah. Then once we get to our 12, 13, 14-year-olds, yep. then we can start having those heavy duty conversations about intercourse and protection and all of that. Yeah. Um, so I think that was one thing people shrieked about. Um yeah, uh, yeah there were some horror stories that day. People are like, oh my gosh, they're gonna be bringing toys to a uh, class yeah. to our six-year-olds. That's yeah. not yeah. what we're talking about. I was
1: just saying how uh, much I, I love Twitter, and but that was not. A time to love social media because you've got folks who have their agendas and who are who are presenting uh, comprehensive sex ed is what they want to present it as. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes me so. My spouse is a is an ECE educator and uh, works with four year olds, and um, and she tells me um, all the time how she's pushing these things about students. You know, you know, we don't we don't hit our friends, we don't touch our friends, we don't touch our friends without permission. We yeah we don't touch our friends in certain places. And, you know, and it's really interesting um, how it's like, well, yeah, of course we're doing this. And so people do tend to think about it in those terms. And, and I guess, and Kev, you can add on to this if you want, you know, to your point about young people are thinking about and having sex anyway. Right. Um, Relative to the role that it plays in their development, we spend no time on this in any sort of um, intentional and continuous way. And so it's kind of like, it's kind of like this hot potato where everybody's kind of like passing it to someone else that, well, it should be the parents. Well, actually it shouldn't be the parents. Maybe it should, well, maybe not this, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe ask your doctor, you know, those kinds of things. And I think um, I think that, that's what makes this problem endemic.
0: Absolutely. Um, last year I actually developed a human sexuality and gender-based violence course for our grad students in forensic psychology. Uh, Because if we don't have sex ed, then even our trainees don't know about sex and sexuality. Wow. Yeah. Uh, So I I start off uh, the first five weeks is just all the human sexuality education you didn't get. Um, And I give little quizzes. And yes, our 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 young adults in their mid 20s can't name body parts. Uh, They don't know all the terms for gender identity. And these are going to be our future clinicians. Uh, So I developed this class of you need to know this because (laughs) your system failed you. And we got to make sure you aren't failing your clients and the other young folks that you're working with. Yeah,
2: exactly. So Dr. Alexander, let me ask you this, because just as you're talking about, um, you know, your work and the push for sex education, I just started to think about my own um, ed- educational experiences, right? And I remember distinctly in Atlanta, Georgia at about sixth grade, we were talking earlier about sixth grade me and um, having, being split up, we were separated boys and girls and we had sex ed, like we were pulled in. It was a very big deal. Um, it was like Odd, because, you know, as, as soon as we got together, we were like, what do they show you? What do they show you? Exactly. Right? The, girls, <laughs> the girls were nervous about telling us that they were talking about, you know, the menstrual cycle and things like that and getting yeah. pregnant and, and that type of stuff. And you know what they showed us boys? They showed us like boobs. They just showed us some boobs, like, uh, it, like I don't know, like what was going on, but they were—you like, don't know why These are <laughs> they, like why, These why? are what you've been thinking about. Here they are. Let's put them out on the table. <laughs> and, and you still, see the problem, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah right? <laughs> right. But I'm, I'm just wondering, like, how do we go? Because I felt like even like when I was in high school here in Colorado, there was a little more sex. That how did we go back? Like, did, or have we gone back? Has there been like, like,
1: kind of have I, we moved backwards?
0: Yes. We haven't moved forward, <laughs> so I think we're, I just think we're stagnant. Um, that net
1: zero. It's net zero yeah, in, our, yeah. in our
3: province.
0: Absolutely. Nobody's pushing us forward. So, you know, the 2019 bill did pass in the law and it's great. Um, so if a school does have um, sex education, it does have to be comprehensive. That means developmentally appropriate, culturally informed, LGBTQ inclusive. Yeah, uh, because what is your sex ed? It's heteronormative. So yes. uh, the yes. LGBTQ students are sitting here like none of this applies to me. Right. right. Yeah. You know? yeah. Right. Um, and, and so all of that is in our bill. Um, one of the things I said to uh, ACLU Colorado when I was getting ready to testify, I'm like, wait, this is only in schools that require sex education.
3: Right.
0: <laughs> so if your school doesn't have sex education, then you're still. <laughs> You're still unknowledgeable about sex edu- uh, sex when you graduate. Yep. Um and, and so that's a problem. There are a few states, very few, that do have mandatory sex education. Um there's like what 12 or 13 states out there that um have medically inaccurate sex education. Wow. So even the stuff that they're teaching is not oh my even God. Not accurate. Oh no, that's problematic. I mean, th- this right. is
1: the kind of thing that seems um that seems endemic to uh to the U S right. And like we, we categorically have real awkwardness and real issues with how we understand sex ed and how we uh, deliver it. Absolutely. Yeah. And to Kevin's point, I think it, it was sixth grade uh, again, splitting up the boys and the girls. And I remember, and, and now as you sort of talk about it, you talk about the sort of the shaming dynamic that goes into sex ed with young people. Um, so we had Miss Wilson and Miss Wilson was great, you know, but she would take the overhead projector and point it into the corner of the classroom right above the door. the thinking being, I think, it was never explained to us, that we don't want younger kids to walk by and see what is happening what, what they're talking
2: about yeah they're talking and so about inappropriate stuff
1: so even even in that way it it like as I think back it it, it felt like... Oh, this this is bad stuff. Like this is bad stuff that has to be a secret. And you know, um, and that. So it's just interesting when we think back on that. And and I think about um, I think about issues that I witnessed um as as we got older. And as you kind of discuss these, it, it it really starts to hit kind of deeply. Kit, I I have another follow up. Um, so when we talk about um the the gaps in in sex ed even where it is offered so you mentioned the sort of erasure of the lgbtqia plus community in these conversations you mentioned um the cultural aspects of um of sex education could you speak to what that sort of refers to what is it that um about sex ed that has sort of cultural components that also ought to be included
0: yeah. Um, some of it is around, uh, maybe even shame and stigma. Uh, so even with some of the sex ed programs, they're shame based. Um, so there's this one website and it has all these little infographics of things that people have learned about sex ed. Uh, so, uh, and my students have reported this as well, that, uh, this was part of their training. Uh, so uh, they take this cup and they pass it around the class and everybody spits in it. And that's demonstrating oh. that you are this used dirty, cup or this uh, uh, band-aid with hair on it if you engage in sex and you're worthless and
2: Wow! stories about that stuff yeah Yeah, so all these
0: like culturally laden values around sex that is shaming and demeaning
3: wow Um,
0: and then you know other things that might be just myths across different cultures and religions about sex and sexuality so uh, when we say culturally informed just eliminating all of that and just again let's deliver the information let's deliver the factual information because when our young people have this information they do make more informed decisions Um, uh, again the people (laughs) who are pro abstinence actually if you have comprehensive sex ed that actually delays some kids from engaging in sex yeah Yeah. actually make wiser decisions Mm, um so yeah (laughs) they're they're more informed so there's just so many benefits to this uh for our youth again uh if if we're turning the overhead projector uh we know something weird's going on then yeah i'm going to google it on the internet and the internet's going to give me some things that i probably don't need to know some inaccurate things right uh, one trend uh, that I've been hearing about from teens here, and uh, we've been seeing across the nation, um, again, talking about heterosexual relationships, yeah. um, boys are engaging in more choking behaviors during sex. Again, um, I'm pro-BDSM community, uh, but this is non-consensual choking. Yes. Uh, and so uh, often um, it, it's because that's what they're seeing in pornography, that that's mm-hmm. one of the ways to court or engage in interest in one of the kind of. Uh, areas to display interest without actually asking your partner. So again, that consent yeah. component yep. is lacking there. Um, yes. So again, if they're learning all of this um, in, you know, it just wrote a chapter on kind of sexual scripts. If yep. that's your sexual script that choking is automatic and it doesn't need consent, then that's a problem.
3: Yeah.
1: Yes. Absolutely. Yes. So we're going to take a quick break. Um, and uh, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit About trauma. You started mentioning trauma and communities of color. Uh, So stick with us. We'll be back in a moment.
3: As a student, how many black teachers did you
2: have? Your answer is two or less. You are not alone. We know that black teachers are under attack, and with all the conversation happening about black teacher recruitment, shouldn't we be talking about retention too? So
3: where
2: are all of our black teachers? I'm so glad you asked. In the new monthly podcast series from Tudo Productions, the exit interview coming in late January, Asia Lyons. Hey, y'all. And me, Kevin Adams. Talked with former black educators who've been pushed out of the classroom.
0: We want to know their stories. Who or what made them leave? How was their family affected by the push out? And most importantly, what are they doing now that they've left the classroom?
2: If you'd like to be on the exit interview, reach out to us on Instagram and Twitter at Tudope Teachers or email us at 2Dopeteachers at gmail.com.
1: What's up, people? We are back. On Two Dope Teachers and a Microphone, I'm Gerardo Munoz, he's Kevin Adams, and we are talking today with Dr. April Alexander at the University of Denver. So um, so in the previous segment, you talked a little bit about trauma and, and multiple types of trauma that you witnessed in your work uh, with young people across the country. Um, we're We're actually kind of interested to learn how you view this era of COVID-19. Um, what are you seeing and learning about and focusing on in in terms of trauma in the pandemic?
0: Yeah, this is such a complex question. You know, twenty twenty was again that term unprecedented year. It was um, oh. that, that it was a year marked by grief, loss, and uh, again some factors that might contribute to trauma. Uh, you know, uh, I. Have first go to the closing of schools. Uh, What does that mean for our young people? Uh, Some of the young people who use school as a relief from uh, trauma in the household now no longer have that relief. Um, So what we're seeing is we are seeing a spike in uh, domestic violence calls and sexual abuse calls and child maltreatment calls Uh, because kids are at home also the stress, uh, your parents lost their jobs. Um, people are engaging in more alcohol use during COVID-19. Um, so when we have all those stressing factors, we do know violence goes up. Uh, so my, uh, one of my biggest worries is uh, what happens during this next year as we start going back to schools, as we start coming out of it with all these people who've experienced additional forms of trauma uh, during 2020. Uh, so that, that's one of my greatest concern that, uh, maybe some of these individuals that already had trauma in their histories, um, had that exacerbated during this last year. Um, and even outside of those types of trauma, just thinking about neglect, um, as soon as we shut down the schools, I said, oh my gosh, our kids aren't going to have meals. Uh, again, yes, schools rallied around that and tried to get meals out to kids and things like that. But um, that's a you know form of neglect that's really serious um, of not being able to have you know your meals each day. Um, yeah. So there's all sorts of things that we need to be thinking about um, of how we handled COVID poorly, yeah. um, as we kind of think about other disasters that will come in the future. We know disasters happen. Uh, we saw these patterns with Hurricane Katrina, with tsunamis across the globe. Uh, none of this is new. So we should have known better and had uh, been more prepared. Mm-hmm. um, in this type of trauma, but we weren't. Yeah. Uh, so my worry is, uh, as we start going back, um, there's going to be a high need for mental health services, uh, whatever this, uh, I keep quoting post pandemic era. Uh, yeah, post pandemic. Like.
1: Right. Yeah. No, it's interesting. Uh, Kevin and I have a mutual friend who's a school leader in DPS who, uh, relocated here after Katrina. He had been a, uh, a principal at a school down there. And, um, and, you know, talking with him is really interesting because he still has a lot of uh, connections, a lot of friendships, family members there. And, you know, the education system in New Orleans still hasn't recovered, um, that there are so many things, schools that never opened, buildings that never got fixed. Um, the kind of, you know, they were already moving towards a decentralized model of education, but this was kind of a forcefully decentralized uh, sort of environment that's had some real um, some real implications for uh f- for communities there. And, you know, it's hard because we're sitting here in the middle of it, um, just kind of as we try to come back and figure out how things are supposed to work, going to work, what do students really need? What is it that we can do for them? And it's a real um, tough spot. Uh, yeah, and so, and so, Kevin, you, you teach, you teach middle schoolers, like, have you seen kind of, is sixth grade different this year than it's been in previous years? It, you know, it, beyond beyond the like obvious things, right? Like kind of what they're thinking. You said, about.
2: is it different, right? Is yeah. it different than what it normally is? Yeah. Right. And so, so interesting stuff, you know, like, um, like I noticed for some kids, they really embrace, and, and in the winter, they've embraced having a mask on who've come back in person. They've embraced having a hood up, you know, they've embraced wearing a hat, like, and I, I don't know if it's like nobody else can be seen in the class. Why? Why do I have to be seen, right? So, like, I think there's also some some embracing of like, it's good not to be seen, which is, I think in some ways some middle schoolers feel really good about that because it's a very awkward hard time, um, you know. But in other ways, I see slowly because you know I think the physical separation prevents them from like really being themselves, right? They can't okay. grab each other and play with each other. They can't do all of that type of stuff. Um, so, I mean, it's definitely different. Their their behaviors are definitely different, but the longer they spend together, like I'm seeing some little clicks develop okay. and stuff <laughs> like that, right? But but um, Dr. Alexander, it makes me think, as you mentioned all of this returning and and just thinking about the perspective for teachers and um you know this this fact that SEL has been stressed this year um and really like in in a lot of different ways sometimes authentically it felt more authentic at the beginning of the year
3: yeah.
2: i think it's feeling a little less emphasized um i think there's an authentic desire to have it but i think yeah. it's just losing out to this idea of you know, uh, learning loss and, and that we have to keep the kids up and the CMAS are coming and the tests yeah. are happening no matter what. But what 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 would you recommend for educators right now working with kids who are returning who could have experienced all of this trauma? Like what 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 steps can we take to make sure that we're meeting best meeting the needs of the kids, especially those kids like I've mentioned who felt like, you know, I can withdraw. I can hide, you know, and some of that is a natural reaction to the trauma, right, is that you pull back, um, but what what can teachers do, educators, um, to best support these students as they return more and more, you know, like uh, people are saying, uh, after spring break, it's, it's like, we're back to normal, is right. what I've heard, but what are your thoughts on that? <laughs>
1: And, and for those of you who, uh, you know, so, so we, we're audio, uh, but the kind of reaction that that I think both Dr. Alexander and I both had is kind of like, uh, this is a little bit uh, dicey, yeah? <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, uh, one of my big critiques of, like, social-emotional learning and trauma-informed care is a lot of uh, spaces use it as buzzwords. Uh, but my critique is, do you actually know what that means? Um, are you actually implementing what you're saying you're implementing? So if we're talking about social emotional learning, it is learning how to identify and manage emotions. Yes. It is thinking about empathy. Um, and, and that's, we lose that sometimes. Yeah. Uh, so when you have the kid who's withdrawn um, who might be acting out um, again, the school-to-prison pipeline. What are you doing? You're disciplining them. Um, when do we give each other grace and space to heal during this time? Uh, yeah, I, I cringed because yeah, we're gonna go back to school, or you all. I'm not. Yeah, uh, we're, 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 we're still we're we're still online at the university for a yes. while. But you all are gonna go back to school soon, and you're going to see some of these symptoms of uh, again. It could be little T trauma of okay. Yep. Some people just had um, you know some grief loss and destabilization that's natural due to covid or big t trauma that you've actually experienced traumatic incidents and are experiencing um, psychological distress as a result of that yeah so how are you identifying these kids and how do we get them plugged into uh the services or the supports that they need Uh, it's all comes down to relationship building. How are you building a relationship with the students in your class? Uh, Do you know them? Do you know about their environments? Are you able to identify when you see changes in their behaviors and emotions? And then um, again, I'm hoping that our school is able, our schools are able to connect them with resources. So uh, again, working with Padres y Jovenes Unidos on counselors, not cops, can we get more school counselors in there especially right now because we're going to need them that's right Uh, we are going to see our students um, feeling distressed and even uh, Kevin as you were saying this uh, I I keep thinking of COVID and how it ruptured um, our students lives in so many different ways especially during these milestones so that transition into middle school the transition in the high school if you missed your freshman year of high school
3: that's a lot. Uh,
0: down to our preschoolers who've been on uh, your kindergarten uh, kindergartners who've been all online and now we're going back into a social sphere and you didn't have that face-to-face socialization there's going to be some bumps in the road for a little bit yeah uh you know we didn't have you don't have all the classroom rules when you're online learning that's right kids can do whatever they want that's right now 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 they're going to be all rule bound again and mm-hmm. our younger kids aren't going to handle that well
3: older
0: yeah our older kids yes so, but definitely the younger ones yeah so, absolutely really talking social emotional learning we have to be thinking about all this uh we, we have to have some empathy and grace for our students uh we need to be tapped in into how they're doing and then last i don't want to neg- neglect our teachers Right. Uh, uh, We're always thinking about everyone else, uh, but what about the trauma and difficult experiences our teachers faced during this last year? It's been a lot. So even um, they might be short-tempered and not willing to engage in social emotional learning. They might be going through their own stuff. So uh, also how do we uh, provide supports for them as well? Yeah.
1: I, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm laughing because I'm like, Oh yeah, that's right. Like, I think I that's could put that. Yes. Social emotional support. Um, especially cause I can't, like, I, I haven't been able to stop by Kevin's room for most of the last year and, you know, complain to him, but, um, but yeah, you know, I, I think that, um, so the thing I really struggle with, as we kind of, you know, and and we are going to be doing CMAS when we come back um, after spring break and um, everybody but the Biden administration seems to be on board with uh, canceling tests. And, uh, you know, highly disappointing, I would say, but also not very surprising. Um, the thing that's so hard for me is that, like, I, w- you know, we have these conversations uh, within the, within the school system. And, you know, Kevin and I have a great principal. Um, she thinks about the right things. She's focused on the right things. Um, but systemically, the big frustration is okay. So we're gonna do our SEL, and that'll help kids turn work in on time, right? Yes, yes. And, and my feeling is like, that's not why we do SEL. <laughs> like. You know, maybe it results in students healing to the point that they feel like they can confidently engage in school, but that's not the end game. The end game is that we have healthier humans who are in touch with their emotional and social needs and, and who are able to process through trauma, you know, and, and that's the thing that's so hard for me. It's like everything has this impetus for achievement. It's like well, we do these things so that students can achieve, and it's like, but that that there's there there need to be a lot more like connections there, and you know, and to to your point about milestones, um, Kevin probably sees this a lot more than I do because his students were in fifth grade last year and they're in middle school now, and until January, none of them had set foot into a school, and still the majority haven't, right? Yep, yep. So they don't have any idea of the school. My my daughter who is a sophomore um, says she still feels like she's a ninth grader. She doesn't feel like she's actually become a 10th grader, let alone about to be an 11th grader. And these are things, those, you know, we can't underestimate that. And then I think about our classes of 2020 and 2021 that last year seniors didn't get any of the things that you get with senior year. And increasingly it's apparent that this year seniors probably won't get those things either.
2: Although I saw an email today in our district saying that they're going to be allowed to have outdoor graduation and outdoor prom. Oh. That's the plan right now. Yeah. Right now in designated spaces there's, some, unfortunately, there's
1: some unfortunately the weather in Colorado is so reliable that yeah. you, can, you can have an outdoor prom? thing in the evening in May and it'll be fine, right? It'll be fine. Right, right. <laughs> but that, no, that's gonna that's really
3: encouraging. It's going to be
1: cold. So Dr. Alexander, would you say that our work in um in social emotional support in schools from from your perspective is it just falling short of what actually needs to happen in order to promote healing and uh processing of trauma and that kind
3: of thing
0: yeah i think it often falls short uh i i think i've even seen a few um tweets about um social emotional learning even being racist in some components Yes. We often don't offer uh, this type of grace and understanding for uh, students of color. That's right. Uh, that the way in which they are exhibiting their anger uh, yeah. uh, maybe looks different um, across different cultures. And that often gets penalized and that often gets uh, punished and criminalized more than white kids. Uh, so that's something that we need to be looking out for. And then as you were speaking, you know, my biggest concern, you know, we're talking about um healing and people put these artificial times on healing. Yeah. Uh, so if you're talking about working with these students, uh, what next month, uh, as they kind right. of come back, I think you're going to spend the rest of the year just working through that. Yeah. Uh, how do we get them re reengaged, refocus, uh, refocus, doing this SEL uh, with them? That's going to take the rest of the year. Yeah. Yep. Um, so again, these mandates for testing right now, they just think you're going to get them all together, get them all healed up, talk about their emotions, feelings, and they're good to go for testing in a few weeks. No, that's not possible. Yeah, no. Uh, maybe for some kids, but most kids, no. Um, mm-hmm. So we just need to kind of think realistically about all of our systems right now and what going back means.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah, so um, so a practical question for educators, and you, you mentioned that you're teaching classes and you're working with, um, with students uh, within your program. So what's one example of what authentic social-emotional support looks like? when you're teaching a class when ostensibly there's content that you are expected to deliver and that students are expected to master? What's an example of a a concrete? So because when we start talking about testing, obviously these are things that are not in anybody's control. Like I don't know about you, Kev, but that PD yesterday when we were getting trained for CMAS, I just felt like I was just, that was just painful for everybody and not painful in the sense that it was boring, but painful in the sense that 100% of the people in this meeting are powerless to do anything about yeah. Um, testing. Yeah. So, um, what, what's something that, that educators can have power over when it comes to giving that grace and the social emotional support?
0: Yeah. When are you doing, uh, when are you taking the time to actually check in with the students? When are you taking the time to do that relationship building? Yeah. Um, I heard from a colleague last week during a training, she says, uh, again, with college students that she does, she starts every class and or meeting with her students with a mindfulness activity. Yes, of um, one where even in the Zoom world, we're bouncing from meeting to meeting, unlike how we would do in the real world, at least in the real world, you would have like 15 minutes to walk in between your meetings and across across the school and things like that. That's gone now. Now you click leave room and then you're in another Zoom room room instantly. So where is the time and space to just have that debrief? Like she said, do that mindfulness activity. Um name what's going on. Uh, again, you guys are all going back after all these tragedies that just yeah. happened. Yep. Um, yep. Is there space to talk about that and how our students are taking in all that information in their world? Um, so wow. even if they don't have immediate kind of incidents of trauma and grief, they're seeing all of this other stuff in That's their right. world. Uh, right. So where is the time that and space that you're taking um, in your day-to-day teaching to have that relationship building, name the stressors, and uh, work on that social-emotional learning.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that that's that's excellent so we had we had a, another question but you you've touched on it a little bit but um, want to come to it a little bit um, more directly so um, the question of and this is something that is one of my favorite features of your Twitter is um, the places where anti-racist work and social emotional wellness work um, sort of intersect and um, and must be bound to each other can you talk a little bit about what it is about that relationship that you see as being absolutely critical? Um, in both the work of anti-racism and promoting mental health?
0: Yeah, I, I think they all go together. How do we build healthy climates for our students to not just survive, but thrive? Yeah. Um, and so that's where, again, if we're going to use these buzzwords, we actually have to enact them because they all work. <laughs> yeah, um, so, uh, yeah, let's talk about social emotional learning and. um emotional awareness in your classrooms um, and how to process, how to build relationships, how to have empathy and respect for each other. Um, so if we take that, that often bounces into anti-racism. Yes. How do we have respect for uh, one another? How do we engage in difficult dialogues uh, with each other in a space of respect, of love, of support? Mm-hmm. Um, and then that bounces off into trauma, <laughs> right? Yep. Uh, and healing from that. So if we respect and love each other and if we can have these difficult dialogues and we have all this help you <laughs> Uh, Education, then we can heal through trauma that we've experienced, or we won't enact trauma on others. All of these things are interconnected in ways that are just so important and meaningful for health and wellness. Uh, That when we talk about mental health, we are talking about holistic mental health. Um, So, just thinking about uh, do you, and again, it's all the things that we talked about. Have our students had uh, access to exercise during this pandemic? Are they taking care of themselves and their bodies? Um, How are they processing? processing emotions, what happened to all their hobbies? Um, Some students engaged in that, some students had to abandon that during this year. So our sports that were cut off, that was a loss for students. How do we bring all those things back um, safely uh, and deliberately because we know that whole self is important. So I think that's where all those kind of intertwine that we're talking about whole body students. Um, And what do we want to see our young people look like? Uh, We want to see that anti-racism. We want to see them engage in healthy relationships with all people in an inclusive manner. All of those things are intertwined. Yeah.
1: Uh, love hearing that. And, you know, I was just listening to an episode of on the media this morning that was talking about, you know, these dynamics of, of return to school and, and all of these other factors that are kind of playing out and just what you say is so important, That over this whole conversation, which is that we, yes, we want to come back when it, it as safely as possible. Um, but returning to school can't be okay, we're just back, everything's fine. And we can just pick right up where we left off on March 12th um, of 2000. And, um, and and what I hear you saying is that we actually have to center um, the sense of community, sense of justice, sense of healing, sense of belonging, sense of empathy. Um, and the other stuff is just gonna have to be connected to those things, you know?
0: Yeah, it's, a, it's gonna be a rebuilding time uh, that we're gonna have, you know, my underestimation is two to three years of rebuilding. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah. And you know, and this is like we're we're already kind of talking. I was talking to the 2020 uh, state teacher of the year, and um, and she was laughing. And she's like, "Yep, we're the we're the COVID teachers of the year um, because it interrupted her year and it started my year." And so it's been really interesting to frame things that way. Is that this is something that's always going to be with us? This is something that's going to be defining for everybody who lived through it. Um, so I know we we've gotten to some pretty um, serious topics. Kevin actually has a really serious question to ask uh, i don't know are we are we ready to get he get this deep kev yeah it's a let's big go. question let's go it's a big question all right i'm, I'm just gonna mute because kev you got this
2: he's ridiculous <laughs> this is like a question like i debate do we even this is a whole other question for another topic but i was thinking about like do we even ask this question yeah. It's kind of silly it's kind of ridiculous it's it has no rules to it um, it's, it's really like we could ask it in a different way. And I think we'd find out like a lot more like in, but we try not to make it limiting. But That's the right. question is, what are your five top five? This is, this is popular community, uh, our pop popular, uh, question in the hip hop community. That's right. Who are, are your top five favorite rappers, MCs? You see, you're going to see how I, I expanded MCs, <laughs> artists uh, performing artists, groups, uh, bands, <laughs> you know, who, who, who really moves you And that. And, and I wanted to say, we, uh, we are trying to reject hierarchy.
3: That's right. Uh, okay.
2: So, so we say top five, but you don't have to put it in order of, of, of top five. It doesn't mean that you like one more than the other. That's right. If you want to do it that way, you can, yep. you can have like, multiple number ones or multiple number two that's right that's multiple right number I, I think
1: we call that we call that the eric hale rule right where you can yes. have you can have <laughs> a four a four-way tie for third
2: <laughs> and you could go up to 10 people and add on and take it where you want i think but, eric had like but, 15
1: by the when all was yes, said and done
2: <laughs> yes so so here's your time to shine who are your top favorite
0: five rappers but with all that parenthetical information to add in <laughs> The parentheticals now scare me. I, I, I've been worried about coming on this podcast for this very question <laughs> uh, because out of all the questions that you previously asked me, I said, this is where I'll get dragged. It won't be the comprehensive second It'll actually be who I pick for my oh uh, We, we don't drag
1: people. We don't drag people. Yeah, we
2: definitely don't. Definitely uh, don't.
0: Especially, I, I heard my sister Asia Lyons on here and I was like, ooh. Uh, uh, yeah, Asia brought it hard. Yeah, I was like, she's deep in there. And yeah, We haven't um, put
1: Asia on the spot yet. We need to put Put Asia on the spot at some
0: point. <laughs> so for me, I, I'm a big R&B person. So yes. that, that's my that's my that's my catch. That yes. with hip hop, my my list is not going going to be as robust as it probably should be and could be criticized. Oh, we yeah. So yeah. These we are, we are people. <laughs> these are people I like. I so feel yeah.
2: like it's.
1: Oh, I it's, see. Okay. Like <laughs> a
2: certain a certain generation, you know, and I'm part of that generation. Like, is like I want to talk about R&B. <laughs> Third generation,
0: right? I, I don't know how. Yeah, know. so I'll, I'll prepare that for next time I'm on my yep, RMB. Yep. There you go. Yep. Uh, but okay, top five and rap. So I said Missy Elliott. Oh, yes. yes. Uh, we're going to go for Outcast. Oh, Ooh, yes. Yes. I actually got to go to their um show in Atlanta. They did that 3-day show oh, uh, wow. that Atlanta Outlast, last and it was Whoa. just such a blast. Oh, oh man.
1: man. I bet that oh, was great. Man. Yeah. So, uh, so Kevin Kevin. this is this is a uh, this is the second or third reference to Atlanta that Kevin's heard. Uh so he is he is We, just... we, gotta, we gotta got we, to we always got to represent Atlanta.
2: We you know, given I feel like I feel like events, I have a connection and, there now. But
1: always represent
2: Atlanta. <laughs> always. <laughs> We're going. It's, we going is we going. in We go. Do it. Oh my god. Go will do it.
0: All right, Kanye is on the list. Yes. All right.
1: Yay. Right. Kevin and I have a long-standing debate about Kanye. Um and uh yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's interesting. He's a
0: long-standing debate guy. <laughs> <laughs> so yes. we'll have that.
1: what, what is it to speak that speaks about Kanye though?
0: Um Kanye, he uh, again I know all the controversies uh, right now, <laughs> yep. but and we'll, we'll ignore all of that. Ignore that. that. Yep. yep. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. Yep. But
0: he truly is a genius. Yeah. Just
2: so creative.
0: Uh, just just creative. Um, his lyricism. Uh, you can't deny his production. Oh, the you production. Could, uh, yeah. He's it, made it, some of the greatest music
2: in human history.
0: Right, right. You just can't surpass that. Um, I, yeah. I actually saw him back when I was in Virginia Tech, he came during college dropout era. Oh, that's um, yeah. classic. Uh, and, uh, that's classic. Yeah. And okay. I'll never, never, ever forget that. So but I think yes. it, it, in it's kind of, kind of
1: this kind of comes back to like what you were saying at the end of um, at, at the end of the series questions was was how we look at people as whole people, right? And so yes. a human being can be many things. A human being yeah. can be controversial. And brilliant, and um, and so I'm, I'm here for it, Kev. I think you're starting to win me over on this.
0: <laughs> and and with respect to restorative justice, I am willing to bring him back into community. That's um, right. There's still right. a chance. No. There's still right. a chance. <laughs> <No>. That's right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, next is Jay Z. Yes. It's ah, yes. so definitely Jigga, and then my number one, because I did rank, is Kendrick. Ah. So, pulitzer um, prize winning kendrick lamar kenny. pulitzer kenny all of that yes so
2: the, yeah, the greatest the greatest like i i, I was going a long life i was one of those people hip-hop's dead man there ain't no nobody <laughs> great. and then i heard chaos and i was like oh my god i was like what i was like how old and he's been like this it's so great it's so it, it, he it's, just shifted something it um, takes and then, you on a journey yeah. and with is a like a troubadour in the truest sense of like, just communicating, you know, the experience and, and a news teller, all of it, all of it in one. All of
0: it. I mean, it. I still, even when I hear it at protest, uh, if I hear it at the grocery store, when I hear we gonna be all right, I, it's I tear yeah, every, yep. every single time. Yeah, um, always, that song, from here until the day I'm gone, it
2: will. It, it, yeah. It, it,
0: yeah. It's and, and I've
1: noticed too, um, that unlike a lot of rappers, um, Kendrick has appeal across, across like art forms and demographics and communities and generations. There are folks 25 years older than me who are like, you know, that kid Kendrick is pretty good. And there are people 25 years younger than I am who um, also love Kendrick's work. And, you know, he's, he's kind of started for me to move into, um, into that territory where, where his work is just agnostic to category. Like, it's just, Mm you know, you. you
0: Transformative, yeah.
1: Yep. To to love music is to love Kendrick. Uh, Kev, I love this top five. I love
2: it. (laughs) Yeah. I love you it. Should have, you, Dr. Alexander, you should not have even sweated. you like, <laughs>
0: some people do that. They're like, I don't know. And then they're like, all right, here it is, boom. <laughs> right, i was like, this is it. I'm just gonna name it and put it out there. There you go. We, we, love, it. we love it. We talked about social emotional learning, so I feel supported. <laughs> there we go, That's there we step. go, yeah. That's and
1: and so what we'll do with uh, with your top five is we will actually um, make it the playlist of the week and we'll grab some okay. tracks, and uh, it'll be the April Alexander uh, Episode 93 playlist. So, 93. 93. 93. Wow. This is
2: how we chill from 93 until.
1: Oh, there you go. Oh, my goodness. That is. <laughs> go. Oh, man, I love that reference. Moms
0: of Baghdad. Let's play it there out. There we go. Moms
1: of <laughs> Baghdad. <man. laughs> so, uh, Dr. April Alexander, we were so grateful that you took the time to uh, join us today and have this conversation. I learned a ton. Um, and yes it just you know, the things that you said at once affirmed and challenged my practices. And I thank you for that. Um, What are some of the projects you're working on and how can folks find your ideas and follow kind of what you've been doing?
0: Yeah, my biggest one that's on my mind right now and trying to get ready is I got a federal grant to start a trauma treatment program for justice involved girls. Uh, Everything that I said during this podcast, I mean, I'm all about public safety and uh, disrupting the school to prison pipeline. Uh, we know uh, girls are the fastest growing population in the juvenile justice system. Yes. A lot of girls are rising in yes. the juvenile justice system. Um, so again, a lot of these girls have trauma uh, to the point where a lot of activists are talking about the abuse to prison pipeline. So before you even get out, uh, kicked out of school, you've experienced abuse. Wow.
3: Um,
0: so again, uh, my mission is to let's do this evidence based culturally informed treatment program for these girls. Uh, to reduce their recidivism, uh, get them healed, heal their families. Um, So we're preparing everything for the Denver First Juvenile Justice Project. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll be opening those doors soon, getting the info out to communities. So um, any girl who's uh, experienced uh, criminal justice contact, uh, let's get them in the treatment and start this process of healing.
1: Oh, man. Let's go. That's beautiful. That's amazing. Well, That's we, awesome. Obviously, we'll have to have you back on to update us on that work. Absolutely. An yeah. And uh, can people follow you on social media?
0: They can. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. April A and April spelled A-P-R-Y-L. Um, you can check out my work, my research at Aprilalexander.com All right.
1: Very good. Well, Dr. Alexander, we have a way that we like to take things out. You're a listener, so you kind of know what we like to do. Um, I ramble a little bit. I count us down. And then in unison, we attempt... Say stay dope, which is not that easy uh, through Zoom and inconsistent um, (laughs) uh, internet connections, but we'll try to do that. All right, so uh, folks, uh, that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for spending your time with us. You could have been anywhere else in the world and you are here with us, but you chose to be here. You chose to be here for my main man, Kevin Adams. I am Gerardo Munoz and want to wish you healing. We want to wish you contentment we want to wish you support we want to wish you empathy love and fire hip-hop today tomorrow we want to mostly ask you to remember to always
3: stay, stay go, no. go. what is one
1: behavior that you had as a young person that would have gotten you in trouble in your current uh classes that you teach so i so i can start so so like in your specific one so like all all teachers were students at some point um and um there's a there's a high proportion of teachers who are not the best behaved students uh who became great teachers and so my My tendency was I and this will shock Kevin to the high heavens. I talked a lot. Like I was a big no. I, yeah, I was I was a I was a chatty dude. I was very social. I like to talk to everybody. and um, and that would get me in trouble in my current class because I'm really ambivalent about kids who talk a lot. Like I want my kids to I want my students to talk. I want them all to have their voices heard. But there's also that student that talks so much that you're like, oh, okay, it, we, um, I, I really like that you have a lot to say, but how do I, how do I get other people talking? So I, I actually think I probably would have posed some challenges, uh, young me would have posed some challenges to current me. So that's kind of an example. What about y'all?
0: I think I'm on the opposite end. So we grade for like class participation um, <laughs> and often get on our graduate students about not participating in classes. I was that student. Um, so, so even in this moment, I'm finishing grades, they're due tonight. Uh, and I'm like, how do I rate class participation? Knowing that I probably wouldn't have spoken up on zoom. Um, (laughs) I I know that's one of mine. And then the other one would probably be just sometimes not paying attention in class. Um, I daydream (laughs) a lot and I would always be ahead on readings and things like that. So it was boring to me if I was ahead on readings. So yeah, I was daydreaming and zoning out all the time.
1: That's awesome. Well, I feel like I have a couple more things to add to my own list. Um, yeah. <laughs> definitely. So, so, um, so professor Alexander would have had a conversation with uh, younger uh, April Alexander about, Hey, we really need you to speak up and like participation is part of this class.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. I would have had a stern talking to myself.
1: <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Kev, what about you? Um, wow.
2: Wow. Okay. So I'm thinking, I'm going to think sixth grade mode. Right. Yeah, that's right. And so in sixth grade, like I, I was, I, I, I guess I was what you call maybe a class clown, like at, at, at that like a very high degree. I'll tell you guys this. In fifth grade, I cut Connie Loft's hair and I told her I was going to do it. I was like, I was like, Connie, I'm going to cut your hair. I was sitting right behind her and I was like, I'm going to cut your hair. Where and is I she now? That's I don't a great know. One. I don't know. I don't know. I But her mom, like I went to her house like a week later and her mom was like, oh, I'm still mad at you. I'm <laughs> still mad at you. Because she had to, you know, the best. Connie Loth, if you ever hear this, I miss you. Get in touch. But she, she, uh, she had to cut her hair. And so she had this, like, she was a little girl with this, like, weird haircut that she had to get. <laughs> I felt bad. I felt bad. But, uh, yeah. So being the class clown, messing around, that would have probably, like, that would have been, been the thing that I would have gotten me talked to, uh, you know, like
1: by, by current, uh, Mr. Adams, By
2: current Mr. Adams, but like figuring about, you know, like I want to try to nourish you <laughs> and your sense of humor, but, uh, in an appropriate way that is productive.
1: I'm starting to wonder what kind of day you had today. Um, <laughs> <but>.
2: <laughs> I had a good day. I
1: had a good yeah, day. definitely. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, so transcript looks good. Um, Problem is I have so many tabs open I can't find it. Uh-oh, where are we? <laughs> Hold on just a second. <laughs> Let's see.
2: Remember, you shouldn't have more tabs open than the grade you're in.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's my well, that's my
2: that's the yeah.
1: For... <laughs> so I mean if if learn if learning is like this lifelong process, I'm I'm in the 25th grade, so I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, That's <laughs> like, what I'm, I, I, I'm good. I still got, I still got some. 27th grade. So you're saying I need to open more tabs? Okay, sounds good. Let me let me open some more tabs. Okay, um, cool. Well, it looks good. So we let's see. I'm gonna pause it real quick so that.